the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, May 19th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 240, powered by the National Pulse. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, and Google Podcasts. Follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that will take you to our website, the latest Substack, and our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Ro. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's keying up. We've got a lot of breaking news. We saw the Weaponization Committee get a little tense yesterday. We're going to talk about the fallout from the Durham investigation report. And the Republican GOP primary is about to get a little bit more crowded. We've got a big show. Congressman Kevin Kiley is going to be joining us. Trump attorney Jesse Benal is going to be here as well. And we're going to get inside the numbers with Rasmussen polling's Mark Mitchell. But before we get to any of that, let's jump right into the headlines. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, gang's all here. Big Friday edition of the show. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. We're going to start things off today talking about the weaponization subcommittee meeting that happened yesterday. Uh, we saw three defendants who are now former FBI agents. Oops. Yeah. Um, give some powerful testimony. We're going to hear from that in a second. We're also going to be hearing from Trump attorney Jesse Benal. Uh, he was taking a victory lap last week on the release of the Durham investigation report and how President Trump was vindicated in a lot of the things that he's been accused of over the last, you know, seven years or so. But he was actually, uh, you know, representing one of these brave whistleblowers yesterday, so it's going to be great to talk to him about that stuff. Uh, but getting back to this, this was probably, and I mean, I know that these weaponization committee meetings are, as far as the Democrats go, it is an absolute trigger for them, uh, just just based off the name. You know, this is like not saying somebody's pronouns correctly up on Capitol Hill. How dare you? Exactly, because they've used the things that the Republicans are accusing them of being weaponized to their advantage for so long. When it's put on display, you're going to hear some absolutely heaters of meltdowns. Oh, did I tell you what my new pronouns are? Go ahead. Fuck you. Mm, those are mine. I like it. <laughs> Great way to start the show. <laughs> um, but, yeah, some of these testimonies that we heard yesterday, uh, you know, we're going to start off here with Garrett O'Boyle in just a second, and that's who Jesse Benal uh, was legally representing in the courtroom yesterday. Uh, this whole com- subcommittee meeting circled around some of the things that have to do with January 6th. These whistleblowers felt like the FBI, in collaboration with the Department of Justice, went way outside of their bounds and tried to express their concerns on a professional level up the chain. Uh, One of the defendants stated that he'd went three supervisors up to voice his concerns. And they were just passing them them down like, don't worry about it, you know, everything's fine. Meanwhile, those... I guess managers, you can call them, were forwarding all their stuff on to the tippy-top bosses who said these people are done. Security clearance revoked, uh, terminated without pay. Yeah, so they were just lulling them into submission, basically. Like, oh, everything's fine. Oh, you know, we're we're 
we're worried about your concerns too. Meanwhile, hey, look what these fucking guys are doing. Yep, exactly. They're going to tell on all of us. So let's jump right into the testimony. Here's Garrett O'Boyle uh, talking about some of the things that he went through as part of the whistleblower process. Let's check it out. Currently in place at the FBI are clearly inadequate and must be reworked to protect whistleblowers and others who are inappropriately targeted. The FBI can extract whatever they want from me. I'm willing to bear that burden. I've sworn to defend this country from enemies, both foreign and domestic, even if that means sacrificing my life. I've lived that oath out since first enlisting in the Army, consistently saying, here am I, send me. My oath, however, did not include sacrificing the hopes, dreams, and livelihood of my family. My strong, beautiful, and courageous wife, and our four sweet and beautiful daughters who have endured this process along with me. Mm. In weaponized fashion, the FBI allowed me to accept orders to a new position halfway across the country. They allowed us to sell my family's home. They ordered me to report to the new unit when our youngest daughter was two weeks old. Then, on my first day on the new assignment, they suspended me, rendering my family homeless. <clears throat> they refused to release our goods, including our clothes, for weeks. <clears throat> All I wanted to do was serve my country by stopping bad guys and protecting the innocent. To my chagrin, Bad guys have begun running parts of the government, making it difficult to continue to serve this nation and protect the innocent. But I, for one, will never stop trying. And I'll never forget my oath. Thank you. Those individuals were inside the Capitol, to which the SSA responded back. And I was privy to these conversations firsthand. Why can't you show us? Why can't you just send us, give us access to the 11,000 hours of video that's available? Because there may be, may be UCs, undercover officers, or CHSs, confidential human, for, confidential human sources, on those videos whose identity we need to protect. Really sad to hear. It's really just kind of introducing the American public to a lot of things that congressional Republicans, uh, several governors, obviously President Trump for the longest time have been trying to, you know, wake everybody up to. These people are not working for you. They're working against you purposely. Mm -hmm. These three whistleblowers specifically, some of the things that they said, um, you know, spider webbing the investigation of January 6th outside the D.C. field office by opening up an investigation into every person that they were looking at in their place of residence. So every field office where these people lived throughout the country now opened an investigation which padded the stats of white nationalism is the new domestic terrorism and the number one threat to democracy. Mm -hmm. You also heard here, this guy wanted access to, you know, some of the videos from January 6th to kind of examine to what severity of crimes some of the accused had done. And if that crime was being properly applied to which they said, like, you want to look at the video? No. Why? Because there was undercover cops, both local and federal, all over the place, inside and outside of the Capitol on that day. Mm -hmm. I think it was an undercover that pooped on the desk. Could have been. <laughs> I know it wasn't lectern guy. <laughs> you know, and, and then the last thing, which was absolutely crazy to me, one of the FBI agents who blew the whistle had five years of SWAT experience and went to his managers and said, hey, listen, we have been working directly with this guy who is going to surrender. He's going to surrender. There's no need to do the whole Roger Stone type arrest on this guy. 
The FBI told him no, questioned his integrity, stripped him of his security clearance, and put him on administrative leave pending an investigation without pay. You can't spoil the show. They need the show. They need to show these people in leg irons getting perp walked throughout wherever they're, you know, wherever they're being arrested from. It's insane. It's insane that these guys are going through this. And, uh, you know, like I told you, parts of this subcommittee hearing, not just on the defendant's side, were both emotional and tense. Uh, let's hear a clip, which, which is a pretty good exchange back and forth as this thing's getting rolling. The chair recognizes the gentlelady from California, Ms. Sanchez. Um, Mr. Chair, just as a point of order, um, I understand and we have been made aware uh, from what you stated uh, in your opening statement as well as in a press conference earlier that Mr. Allen did meet with you all um, and might have a testimony that was transcribed. Neither, and I understand that he stated that he did not feel comfortable meeting with the Democrats. He's comfortable being here today in open this open forum. We will be questioning him. Will you give us a copy of that testimony that was transcribed of your discussions with him? It'll be up to Mr. Allen. Um, but you are in possession of them, aren't you? Sure are. So why would you not give them to us? Mr. Allen's a whistleblower and he didn't want that to happen. We'll he talk didn't to want, him. but he's ha- ha- comfortable here in open discussion with us today? Sure is. You can ask him questions if you want. You, you don't share the your information with the minority? No, the they, whistle, no, they no, don't. You're not sharing That's information the, that the whistle, you've obtained whistleblower, with the whistleblower, the, was, the whistleblower saw what you did with uh, Mr. Friend and others, the, the false information you gave the press so much no. so that they had to issue corrections. The whistleblower no. doesn't we've decide seen. that. The committee decides it. And, and we've decided. The and you've decided, decided that you're decided not going to gonna Mr. share. Mr. Allen is here. You can ask him questions. And we can, we can talk about the testimony. But right now, you're not getting the testimony. Mr. But Allen's you, here to testify. And you'll give us the testimony when? After he's left? Or at no point in time? Or when will we have that? That's only for the Republicans. Is that what you're saying? Mr. Chairman, the, the general lady did not state a point of order. The point of order the was, will he order. be giving us the testimony of the witness that is here before us? It's and that you have information. Mr. Chairman, I moved that her, I, was, her, I was indulging the ranking uh, member. The gentleman from California is right. She's not stated a point of order. The, the, the five-minute questioning. Uh, so the point of order is Sanchez. I would like the testimony. I move that you give us the testimony of the individual. Move to table. Here. Uh, there's a motion that has been moved to table. Uh, Chair, uh, we will call. Yes. We, we don't, Mr. Chairman, we don't have to table. We ask for a recorded vote. For that. Mr. Chairman, can we have yeah. a recorded vote? No, it's not a proper point. So, wow. That was just, that was Daryl Issa that came in with a steel chair at the end saying that she's out of order. Uh, <laughs> not like there's any love lost for her. That's the idiot who sits in all the committee meetings on her cell phone because a lot of people, you know, assume that she's getting talking points from her handlers wherever they are because she's a complete fucking moron. And uh, what they wanted was they wanted the transcripts of the of the original whistleblowing, which is completely up to, I guess, now the defendants, the subjects in question right now who are, you know, giving their testimony to the committee. Uh, the, you know, both sides, Democrat and Republicans, were given equal time to ask whatever questions they want. And boy, did they ever waste their fucking time. There was a congressman on the Democrat side during this thing. You want to know what he did? He spent his entire time asking each of the whistleblowers, do you know Cash Patel? Yes or no? They all said yes. Really? Have you ever received money from Cash Patel through his charitable organization that helps people who have been canceled? 
he didn't say it exactly like that. He made it seem like they were making money off of this. Mm-hmm. To which they all said yes. Cash Patel basically used like a GoFundMe component for some of these guys who were literally thrown out on the fucking streets. Some of them have the one guy has four kids. Unbelievable. And ticked them some cash so they could keep the lights on in whatever Motel 6 they're staying in in between wherever they're going. And uh, they make it seem like not only knowing him, but yeah, like getting help from... shysty fucking... Man, like it's a, embarrassment. You know, they set up these GoFundMes yep. that are all bullshit, you know, and these people are getting help legitimately. Ugh. What a sad, sad situation for these people. It was an ugly hearing, to say the least. But we're going to... Believe it or not, there were some funny parts. And... uh but, but before we get to that, I think one of the biggest things that, you know, maybe a lot of people in our listenership didn't already understand if they haven't been with the show or got a chance to see this subcommittee hearing yesterday um, was some of the evidence or data that was just blindly provided to the Department of Justice and the FBI. Um, the big one was the Bank of America dump. We didn't have Chinese elements of the CCP stealing your data from some third party that, you know, Bank of America sells it to. Bank of America took all of the data that they received from Washington, D.C. on January 6th, and anyone who used a Bank of America card in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, their information was given to the FBI. Doesn't matter if you were even in January. Like, you could have been on the other side of town getting a coffee. The FBI got your information. Wow. Yeah, let's hear it. And I think Americans need to hear it because there are other glimpses of just how the victimization is going on and how it's victimization at scale. This is one fact that struck me. The Bank of America records, the story that Bank of America turned over the credit card transactions, whether for an aircraft or a lodging or the purchase of a cup of coffee, for everyone who decided to come to Washington, to be in Washington area, the Northern Virginia area. That's one of the things that you asked questions about. There are victims all over the place. All of the people who suffered when the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security got involved in censorship with social media platforms. Millions and millions of tweets and narratives being taken down. That is victimization at scale. It must be resolved. And the fact that those who profess to be most concerned about victimization of people by law enforcement in this country, join in the victimization of you. I think that's the takeaway, at least for me, from this hearing. Well, I mean, besides the three whistleblowers getting crushed by the agency they proudly served for, all three Mm -hmm. of them were veterans of this country, too, uh, served in some component of the military. Um, And that was Representative Dan Bishop giving his two cents on just how disgusting, you know, these companies are so quick to just completely throw all of the privacy uh, related to their consumer out the window and just turn everything over. You guys remember back in the day, like we would have some kind of like a foreign terrorist mm-hmm. commit some massive crime here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you remember the couple who, who you know, went and shot up a boardroom and then had the high-speed chase where they're shooting AKs out the window, and they couldn't unlock that guy's phone for months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these companies refused to provide any of that data for someone who he was literally a, a, a Muslim extreme terrorist. Yeah. And, and listen, hundreds of thousands of people that had bank of America accounts on January 6th, boom, everything gets dumped over to the FBI. That's wild. It certainly is. 
You know what's wild is uh, wherever you're listening to the show today, make sure you're subscribed. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast, Podbean, you name it. Hit the subscribe button. Helps the show out in the algorithms. Also across social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social. Make sure that you guys are uh, following the show, hitting the notification bell. Anything that comes out from Steak for Breakfast then will be delivered directly to you. So Debbie Washerman Saltz, who's getting a little long in the tooth, her human skin barely is able to hang on to her lizard body right now. <laughs> uh, she, she was one of the people who was absolutely embarrassing to our country during this thing, uh, just grandstanding the whole time and trying to redefine what the Democrats consider whistleblowers are. So if, if Republicans get canceled and come forward and tell the truth, they use it as an attempt to gain notoriety or financially gain from the situation, right? Democrats, on the other hand, uh, they're the most persecuted people in the history of the universe since Jesus. Of course. And her testimony and the way she wasted her time yesterday uh, accusing these people of that was pretty disgusting. Let's hear it. Arguments ...that the majority uh, is entitled to. So, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not aware that you're able to withhold information from the minority that we would need to use to prepare for a when it comes to whistleblowers you're not and i would just i would just remind the committee remind everyone look Mr. when it comes to whistleblowers right. you are not that's not right it's it's shocking that the gentleman that's not right it's shocking that the gentleman so much about the whistleblower and the it's shocking that the gentleman from new york would state that we had when you were part of an investigation with an anonymous whistleblower we Mr. Chairman, these individuals Mr. Chairman, I, I can't, I can't hear five people at once. Can we have regular it, order? Mr. Yeah. Mr. Chairman, it, the chair I'm, recognizes it's, I'm inquiring, and I was not. And I've told you that when it comes to whistleblowers, you are not entitled to it. That's these at the discretion of Mr. Allen. Mr. Chairman, these individuals have been determined not, not to be whistleblowers. These are not whistleblowers. They've been determined by the agency not to be whistleblowers. Are you deciding that they're whistleblowers? Yes, the law decides. Did you not listen to Mr. Levitt's testimony? Did you not read the law? The his law decides that they are whistleblowers. His attorney the is chair recognizes the gentlelady from the New York. The law has not determined the gentlelady from New York has been recognized. The law has not determined they are whistleblowers. His attorney is just asserting that. Gentlelady from New York. Thank you. Mm. Wow. Dang. So they're not. Like they're not English Parliament. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All you need is Jim Jordan picking up and putting down the big book. <laughs> So they're not whistleblowers because the Democrats said they're not, even wow. though they've literally blown the whistle on a lot of absolutely off the wall stuff that the FBI and the DOJ was doing, especially in regards to, you know, the privacy and, and coordination to uh, fabricate investigations into American citizens. And, and obviously we always touch on it on January 6th. If people went there and did bad shit, rot in a cell. Yeah. You, you want to know what I'm saying? You went in there, you broke stuff, you hit cops, you hurt people, you did property damage. You did the crime. I got no yeah. sympathy for you. However, there's there was anywhere from five hundred thousand to a million people in Washington D.C. on that day, and for all the people that they're trying to spider web this stuff out to, you know, grandmas and grandpas, people who were you know misled on what the rules were and were not in regards to where you could go and what everybody else was doing. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're on the Capitol grounds and everybody's just calmly walking through a doorway and there's a cop standing next to the doorway or a Capitol police officer. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, it looks like I'm okay to be in here. Cause this guy's not telling me to stop. Yeah. 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 And the boneless chicken wing and the witch come to mind. <laughs> <sighs> well, I promised comedy and I'm not talking about the tragic comedy that we've heard so far. I'm talking about real comedy. 
So believe it or not, the Democrats came completely unprepared and we're going to use the things like the insurrection was real. Everyone committed sedition and these people aren't whistleblowers. So when they try to actually dunk on one of these guys, Marcus Allen is who I'm talking about now. Boy, did they ever look like complete fucking morons and the after effects of it across Twitter were even better. Listen to this one. Thank you, Mr. Allen, have you ever used Twitter, yes or no? I have utilized Twitter, yes. Okay, and is your account at Marcus A9705064? That is absolutely not my account. Okay, that's not your account. Well, on December 5th, 2022, an account under the name Marcus Allen retweeted a tweet that said, That quote, is not my account, ma'am. You haven't let me finish the question, you might sir. Have been the football player. You haven't let me finish the question. <laughs> On and the time is mine. On December 5th, 2022, an account under the name of Marcus Allen retweeted a tweet that said, quote, Nancy Pelosi staged January 6th, retweet if you agree, end quote. Do you agree with that statement? Yes or no? That, that is, I don't, no ma'am. That's not my account at all. I have I'm no asking idea. whether you agree with that statement, yes or no? Can yes. you please rephrase the statement? Yeah. Do you think I'm the that lady has expired. staged January 6th? I just want him to answer he'll answer. He'll answer. question. Yeah, he'll answer. I'm just telling you your time's up. Do you believe that Nancy Pelosi, do you agree with the statement that this person tweeted that Nancy Pelosi staged January 6th? Yes I, I or no? No. Thank you. I yield back. What is the... <laughs> All right, well, that's real. I already, I already committed to this, so you're just going to answer the questions, even if it's not you. Do you agree? <laughs> Oh my God! Do, do you concur? Can you rephrase the question to say that it's not me. <laughs> Congresswoman right. Sanchez didn't do good. Old Linda, listen. First of all, she's a dead. She's a body double for Benjamin Franklin, <laughs> except she's got purple hair. So I, I, I just purple hair. Yeah, yeah. So th this is the funny part, though. That's a red flag nowadays. Of course, <laughs> Matt Gates and the boys oh. jump on the Twitter. Nice. They type in. Linda Sanchez, and of course they retweet, Linda Sanchez must answer for this tweet. It's from like Linda Sanchez 03456789, just like some bot account. President Trump is the greatest president of my life. <laughs> but then in the comments, you got like everybody saying like, doing like the, oh, got her, and Gosar puts a whole bunch of laughing faces. So they're just dunking on this lady because she was like a complete moron. She had her junior staffers go and, and look for this guy's Twitter account. They probably did like a generic search and then found one tweet that was like insurrection-related. Nancy Pelosi staged January 6th. Fun fact about that Crypt Keeper. I don't know if you guys heard. It's, it's not really related, but I do want to get it into the show. So everybody knows what's going on with Diane Feinstein, right? She's literally like dead woman walking. Yeah, she has no idea that she's been gone. She was out with shingles for how long? Months? Guess who her new personal assistant is? One of the most famous documentarians of our time. Nancy Pelosi's daughter. Wow. Yeah, can't, can't make it up how much they want to hide this stuff. And uh, yeah, I just saw that today, but you know, in, in regards to this tweet, not only did they come completely unprepared and look like absolute morons, then the lady's like, all right, I got to try and save face. Does this account that we now have identified is not yours? Do you agree with that statement? And he's just like looking at them like, no, I don't what, know what to say. What, what is the point of this question? Yeah, it was ugly. <laughs> it was ugly. But, you know, taking into consideration here, all the stuff that we were able to, you know, 
bring out. I, I think that, you know, we really have to start hoping. Like so many people have professed now, President Trump put out a tweet about it this morning. If you are listening and you work in a position like this and you have seen malicious misrepresentation of the American people and the jobs you're working in in regards to the federal government, and then you see what the other side of the coin looks like, these guys' testimonies, they throw you out on the street, they make it to where you can't get jobs. Yeah, they're making an example of these people to to thwart anybody else from ever coming forward. For as hard as it is, you might have to just bite the bullet and go do it. Uh, Representative Stewart is going to be in our last audio clip before we jump in with Trump attorney Jesse Benal. He kind of touched on this a little bit, how it's hard being a whistleblower, but it's a whole lot harder as a human being when you're being retaliated against. Let's hear it. I'd be curious to know, you had friends in the FBI. You were well-respected. I mean, Mr. Allen, you're the employee of the year, for heaven's sakes. Have any of your friends reached out and tried to support you in this? And my point in asking that is I wonder if they're too scared. I wonder if they're scared to be associated with you. Now, I wonder if the FBI tactics of isolating you have worked. Mr. O'Boyle, have you had friends reach out and support? Very, very few. And why is that, do you think? I think their First Amendment rights have been chilled as well. Yeah. I know for a fact that my former supervisor had a meeting with my squad shortly after I was suspended, and he told them that I was going to be arrested, fired, and charged. So if that's not chilling, I don't know what is. Mr. Friend? Echo what Mr. O'Boyle said. I've had very few reach out to me, and those who have have used encrypted ways to do it because they fear retribution. They're afraid Fucking terrible. to reach out to you. Respected colleagues, people they've worked with for years, and they're afraid to reach out to you. It's very clear the FBI has been able to achieve that goal. Mr. Allen, your experience, former employee of the year? I've had a few colleagues um, reach out who are um, no longer with, uh, with the office just to check in uh, periodically, which has been appreciated. But other than that, I've been pretty much like ghosted by everybody. So It's hard to hear. You know, there was one of the guys, the other guy who was providing testimony yesterday, he said in all of his time served, he was a military veteran, and he went over to the FBI. He himself had apprehended over uh, 150 dangerous felons himself. Obviously part of teams and this, that, and the other thing, but, you know, apprehensions that he'd been a part of. Just imagine the amount of trust and how much you have to rely on people here in your job as federal law enforcement. Every day when you go out, it could be the last time you ever see your wife and kids, the last time they could ever see you. And because of the way that the federal government decides to weaponize itself and cancel these people and delegitimize their claims and try to erase them from society mm-hmm. in the fact of the way they can make money, support their family, put a roof over their family's head. Just imagine you, you sat next to that person in a car or you raided a house w- w- with a team and then all of a sudden they just don't talk to you anymore because their managers were told this is what you tell the rest of them. I mean, when they say these agents were going to be losing their security clearances, fired and arrested... They don't say it as a public service announcement. They say it for like, just in case there's anybody else in the room that wants to fucking cause problems, look at your coworkers now. And that's kind of what these people have to take home to themselves, the ones who are still working for federal law enforcement. 
than the FBI, the DOJ, and all the other adjacent agencies and, and, and sleep with at night when they know their superiors, when they know cabinet members, when they know the President of the United States are doing stuff wrong. We're going to be obviously continuing to track what's going on with the Weaponization Committee as we like all the work that Jim Jordan's got going on down there. We're going to be jumping in with Jesse Benall in just a second, but before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? Oh. You gotta try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you'd like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bill's with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bill's traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us next on the show, he is the man behind the Banal Law Group. He also does a little work for the 45th President of the United States, President Trump. He's joining us again. We're really happy to have Jesse Banal on the show. Jesse, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me again, guys. Well, you had a busy day yesterday, and you saw some fireworks, to say the least. You were at the Weaponization Committee. You want to let our listenership know we talked about it at the top of our show today. A little bit about what you saw from the sidelines? Well, I'll tell you, it was a, an incredibly important hearing, and I encourage everybody to actually uh, watch every minute of it if, if you can. If you can go and, and find it on YouTube or wherever, please watch that hearing, because it really shows what we're up against in this country right now with uh, the, uh, the FBI, the Department of Justice, um, the IRS, and, and other agencies truly being weaponized against not only people like Donald Trump, um, but really against the American people, um, against conservatives, against Christians, against Catholics. It really showed what was going on. And, and we're very proud to be representing one of the whistleblowers that testified yesterday, uh, Garrett O'Boyle, and um, a truly, truly courageous man who uh, went out there, laid it all, all out on the line, um, was viciously attacked by the Democrats on the committee, but was able to... Uh, really uh, forcefully testify uh, about how the FBI will crush you if you get in their way. It was really something. I mean, you had him explaining to the committee how, you know, one of the FBI agents, former FBI agents had to beg for his family's belongings because they seized them all. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was Garrett. That was our client. Um, and let me, you know, just tell you what he went through is the FBI, rather than just suspending him at it where he was assigned, um, in the Midwest, they transferred him to Virginia. So he took, he left his home that, that he had in the Midwest. He packed his family up. They had the clothes on their back and they went to Virginia. They were looking for a new home in Virginia. And on, on his first day, they told him they were suspending his uh, security clearance. And by suspending his security clearance, he was uh, suspended without pay um, from the FBI. And they had control of all his belongings, even the clothes for his two-week-old new, uh, newborn child. And uh, just uh, they, they couldn't have cared less about it. They, they left him uh, completely out in the dark. And it was absolute retaliation um, for whistleblowing against the FBI. Now, Jesse... You talked about some of the Democrats, everything from trying to plead to the committee that these people weren't whistleblowers to yeah. referencing Twitter accounts yeah. that, that weren't any of the defendants. 
and just trying to delegitimize every single thing that they said, because obviously, obviously it has to do with their big grand lie of the January 6th committee and the whole narrative behind that. This was really embarrassing for our country to see that some of these, you know, congressmen and women went up there yesterday and and just showed absolutely no integrity for the job that they're supposed to be doing on behalf of. This was a time to listen. This was a time to process. This wasn't a time to cross-examine witnesses like you were in a murder trial. But that's what some of these congressmen and women, you know, Washerman Schultz, uh, just to say the least, and, you know, just made an absolute. Yeah, yeah they, they turned it into just a huge embarrassment for our Congress. Yeah. And I mean, let's be clear why this is so important to them. Right now, they have the FBI as the enforcement arm of the Democratic Party. And that's become extremely important to the Democrats to have that political chip where they have the most powerful law enforcement uh, and intelligence gathering organization in the world in their back pocket. So, of course, anybody that attacks the FBI um, is gonna is gonna get it hard from the Democrats right now, and that's exactly what happened yesterday. You saw how absolutely terrified they are of the truth coming out about the politicalization of the FBI and the Department of Justice, uh, and um, how hard they're going to fight, and how much they're going to try to destroy anyone who tried to bring uh, bring any sunlight into what's going on in our federal government right now. Yeah, how alarming was it for you, Jesse, to hear uh, part of the testimony, uh, you know, where the congressman talked about how Bank of America just kind of blindly gave over all of the user information for everyone who had a Bank of America account and used their card in the Washington, D.C. area on January 6th? It's terrifying. Um, When you get the fact that you have these big corporations like Bank of America that are apparently and allegedly – conspiring with organizations like the FBI, you know, that um, becomes the true weaponization of government and big corporations to, to go after the, uh, the American people. If this had happened on the other side, I mean, imagine if Bank of America had done that um, to pro-choice protesters or uh, environmental protesters. There would be calls for um for boycotts there it would be uh, a human rights disaster you know the the world would be uh, looking at you know europe would be talking about putting together a coalition of, of the willing uh to to go in and, and put sanctions against these these companies and the government agencies in, involved but instead the left has been completely uh quiet about something that is a huge huge human rights abuse certainly is. Now, just in the last hour here, Jesse, I saw President Trump put out a true social post encouraging whistleblowers within federal law enforcement and probably with all in the federal government that now is the time to kind of step forward and, uh, you know, share your story with the congressmen and women who are going to support them and and offer whistleblower protections and then get with the legal teams. They're going to wind up representing them, obviously, when, uh, you know, organizations uh, like the FBI retaliate against them. How yeah. important is it for these people to start stepping forward and really allow the American public to see the absolute rotten decay that's going on up on Capitol Hill right now? So important. And let me just say this, that fear is a contagious thing. When you're around a whole bunch of people that are afraid to come forward, um, that can be very, very contagious. And I think that's the atmosphere that's been going on in, in the FBI right now. But the other thing that is contagious is courage. And when you have 
people like the three whistleblowers that testified yesterday, you know, Garrett O'Boyle, Steve Friend, Marcus Allen, and you see their courage, that they're willing to put everything on the line, you know, their, their family's uh, well-being on the line, their, their uh, personal privacy, uh, their careers, um, when they're able to go out and put it all in the line, that should be something that should be some courage that is really contagious to other people in the federal government right now that see what's going on and know that the future of America, this republic of freedom that our founders gave us and were willing to die for is in more jeopardy right now than it has been in 250 years. And we are going to need strong whistleblowers to come forward to give more information uh, to uh, people like uh, the Jim Jordan and, and the people on the weaponization subcommittee uh, so that we can go and get to the bottom of this and have true uh, reform of these organizations or quite frankly, abolishing these organizations and starting uh, afresh um, and, and anew if we're going to actually save our country. Uh, you make an excellent point there. You know, the only way we're going to be able to get to the bottom of this, and I, I feel probably like you do, Jesse, that we're just starting to scrape the surface with all this stuff, is yep. to get it all out into the open, really have a discussion once the dust is settled, because the dust was kicked up big time yesterday in that subcommittee, and, yeah. and start working towards plausible solutions to where these agencies are working for the American people again, not against the American people. All right, Jesse, I want to segue a little bit. Something... We'll stick in the category of President Trump. He picked up a big victory last week with the release of the Durham investigative report. Uh, we're going to be touching on that in our next segment here. But yeah. just from a legal standpoint, I know a lot of people in the America First crowd were disappointed because there was no indictments. You know, obviously that means there aren't going to be any prosecutions. Obviously the laundry list of all the people leading back from Crossfire Hurricane up until the 2020 presidential election with the Hunter Biden laptop, had their hands in the cookie jar here. Everyone from Clinton and Obama, Joe Biden, Jake Sullivan, you know, no, you could just throw darts at the board and, and you can pick a former Obama administration official or anyone that's connected to Hillary Clinton, the DNC, and they had some input into what went down with the Durham report. What do you see as far as like the disposition we're getting now that the report is out there? And what could we possibly see as far as solutions to making sure stuff like this doesn't happen again? Yeah, no, that's a, a great question. And let's talk about, you know, first of all, the lack of consequences, which is something that bothers me greatly, is the fact that we do have all this information that came out from John Durham and his team, who did a great job uncovering a bunch of information, but we have um, very, very little uh, in the way of consequences for any of these people that perpetrated that. And let's talk about why that is, is because to charge most of these people, they would have to be charged in Washington, D.C., where, quite frankly, they are above the law. There is not a judge or jury um, in these courts that would, that would truly hold them accountable. Let's look at what happened with Kevin Kleinsmith, who pled guilty to, uh, to doctoring evidence and presenting it to the, the uh, FICA court. The judge in his case practically apologized to him when he was being sentenced, and he didn't spend a day in jail and the D.C. bar has already reinstated his law license now. He effectively faced no consequences for, uh, for what happened here. So we are not going to see justice in Washington, D.C., quite frankly. I hate to put it that bluntly, but it's not going to happen. So what we are going to have to do is see real reform. And quite honestly, we need legislation that takes and has oversight from outside Washington, D.C., yeah. because this truly is a swamp. And if, if Washington, D.C. and the bureaucratic class in Washington, D.C. is left to police its own, 
then there will be no justice. So we we need to take the Durham report. We need to have some real legislative changes in it. Um, for instance, again, we, we need to have accountability at the very least, the FBI. We need to uh, abolish the, the FISA system completely um, or at least reform it um, substantially so it's not something that's run top down from Washington, D.C. and uh, the, the bureaucrats uh, and the seventh floor at the, at the FBI. And... Um, we need to look at some real legislative solutions. I mean, I can go on and on about it, but if you look at how much the uh, federal government was weaponized um, by the Clinton campaign, and they used that not only to try to defeat a presidential candidate, but then when that presidential candidate, Donald Trump, won the presidency to try to undermine his presidency from the inside. Um, you know, I'll just say, you know, they, they talk a lot, uh, the, the Democrats talk a lot about um, a, uh, a threat to our democracy. Um, they use that phrase a lot. And once again, we see that they're projecting. They're talking about what they are actually doing, because that is what a true threat to our republic looks like, was the undermining of a presidential administration um, from the inside. And we really need to get to, a bottom, uh, to the bottom of this and make sure this can never happen again. And the FBI will never, ever uh, fix itself. The Department of Justice will never correct itself. We need to use our constitutional standards to force reform on those organizations. Yeah, I mean, elements of things that started during Watergate that went up through, like, Waco, where they kind of redefined and identified American citizens as the biggest threat to this country. And yeah. now, you know, going up into the to the eventuality that led to President Trump's first term in office, you've just seen these federal agencies kind of run with a lead or create a narrative, something that's literally not there. I mean, you had some of these testimonies yesterday to where, you know, they explained how uh, white nationalism and domestic terrorism are the greatest threat to this country, according to the Biden regime, only because they took the investigation outside of the D.C. field office and spiderwebbed it all over the country just based on the geographical locations of where the people lived, not where the accusations of crimes they may or may not have committed happened, which was in Washington, D.C., which is where it should have been centralized, which would have definitely unpadded all those numbers that the Biden administration runs around making their narratives on right now. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's Absolutely. it's there, and uh, we were glad to have you today, Jesse. We're going to be looking to have you back at some point in the near future. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to live link your website today. Uh, where can we find you on social media? We'll live link that as well. Um, on Twitter, on True Social, and uh, on Instagram, I'm at jbinall. That's at J-B-I-N-N-A-L-L. Always doing work fighting for the Constitution because this is America's Lawyer. Jesse Benall, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. Was this a seditious conspiracy against President Trump by senior government officials uh, at the end of the Obama administration and beyond? It was a seditious conspiracy, and the inside man was James Comey. This was cooked up by Brennan and Clapper and Susan Rice, and they left Comey to be a part of the Trump administration mm -hmm. to erupt this Russia hoax lie. Now we will always think of 2016 to about 2019 as the Russia hoax era of American politics. And I took particular note at how Jim Comey was always asking, where's that FISA? Where's that warrant to do that spying that was approximate to the Trump campaign. This year, Chris, we're going to have to take a vote in the Congress to reauthorize the very authorities we saw weaponized in this Durham report. And I cannot imagine 
any Republican voting to reauthorize those authorities in this very form. We've got the pattern recognition here, though. That's that's the important thing. This is not just in the rear view for us. It's very much through the windshield. Right. You've got big government, big media, big tech, all in this conspiracy to try to reshape the nature of truth. And guess what? You saw the very features of that same conspiracy reemerge in the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. I believe that truth in this country should be a function of discovery. It shouldn't be something defined by the powerful. Mm. Florida Congressman Matt Gates coming in hot. <laughs> yeah. On Newsmax the other day. And, and listen, kind of sobering. I think you guys will both agree. Uh, I don't know how our listenership's taking it right now. Maybe with a shot, maybe with some junk food. To comfort mm-hmm. or both, you know, it's always great sitting down with Trump attorney Jesse Benal. It's even better when when he was representing one of the FBI whistleblowers yesterday in the subcommittee hearing for the you know weaponization committee, right? But he kind of paints the picture how it is. I think the biggest disappointment with the uh, Durham investigation report was the fact that not only did he not interview any of the bigs, I mean, I could see Joe Biden and. Barack Obama is kind of untouchables at the moment, even though Donald Trump's given, what, half a dozen dispositions over the course of the last couple of years regarding fake extortion cases that people were, you know, running them up against. But, you know, Comey, Clapper, Brennan, Rice, Newland, Ned Price, Secretary of State Tony Blinken, um, none of these people were called in, and all of them were part of cooking up this scheme to take down the duly elected president of the United States and stay one step ahead of the game by initially spying on him in his campaign. And uh, I think that's the biggest disappointment. But the fact of the matter is none of them are ever going to see time inside of a jail cell. None of them are ever going to be convicted of a crime. All we have to do is move forward from this point of history right now where we're at that's documented this is how the government, this is how the office of the president of the United States worked against the American people and kind of refuted their mandate that they voted Donald Trump to office with because they're never going to get what we would consider a fair trial anywhere in, in Washington, D.C. or New York City or any place that they're at. And they're all just going to walk and laugh and then use it as, oh, like, see, I wasn't convicted. Nothing happened. Even though now we all have the proof, the evidence. He kind of laid it out all there for you. I mean, it's been – it broke over the course of the week that – Hillary Clinton had four open FBI investigations, uh, you know, following the Russiagate scandal. All four of them were closed. Four of them on her? On her. Oh, and they're conveniently just get closed, yeah. yeah. Well, it's all this information that's coming to light from from all this and this the Durham report and all this stuff. It's like the people that were the, the biggest proponents of Orange Man Bad mm. and Trump is evil and he's obviously a Russian asset, they're literally going to have to just either decide to just consciously deny what's in front of them or just admit they were wrong yeah which they'll do neither no exactly the fbi and cia cooked this knew it all came from hillary clinton and the dnc as well comey and brennan briefed barack obama and joe biden and of course there was never any evidence of russian collusion i mean the u.s government right now is, is just looking so bad and they don't care and well, there's no re- there's no repercussions for them. I mean, they've gotten away with it thus far, and they've doubled down so much on their bad behavior that at this point they're like, "Yeah, obviously we do that. What are yeah, you going to we'll do about it? Nothing." Exactly. 
There is hope, though. There is still maybe a scalp to grab. It's a rind. A rind? And it's attached to a pencil neck. (laughs) He is still a sitting congressman. Hopefully not for long. Well, he is running for Senate, which out here in California, he will fucking walk too easily. Unless there's a special election. You guys do realize our listenership. That's why they're keeping Dianne Feinstein in office. He loses a lot of the thunder he'll have in an actual election and, and the way they do it out here in California with the jungle primary process and stuff like that if we have a special election. But, you know, sticking to what I'm saying here, Adam Schiff blatantly and overtly lied to not only the American people, but to Congress and under oath. Uh, both. Just, how does how does that keep getting just swept away? All these people keep doing it because lying we, under oath, and there's no nothing happens. We do want to do more important things. No, we want to investigate and remove from Congress one of our favorites, George Santos, for a five hundred and forty six dollar discrepancy in in campaign finances, lying to the American public and spying on the sitting president of the United States is minuscule in comparison to George Santos. And his dry cleaning in a rental car. Exactly. A couple <laughs> lattes, maybe the Chick-fil-A he was buying for the press when he was trolling in the beginning of the year. However, Speaker McCarthy, he did jump on with Maria yesterday and provided a little insight into this. It looks like base McCarthy is coming back. He got that debt ceiling limit bill passed and, and you know, kind of put the ball back in uh, Joe Biden's court with that. Now he's looking to set the crosshairs on California Congressman Schiff, let's hear him. Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan formally requesting special counsel John Durham to appear before Congress to discuss the Durham report. So far, the White House is refusing to comment on that as well. You lived it. You know what went on in terms of the Durham probe and the Russia collusion lie. Will there be accountability here? There has to be. And Maria, it's not just me who knew it. You knew it. And you got criticized for speaking the truth. And that's what's wrong. Is CNN talking about this? Is the White House talking about this? No. Listen to what has happened. They took America through an impeachment over a lie that they knew. You had Adam Schiff, who was chairman (laughs) of the Intel Committee, lying day after day to the American public that he had proof, that he knew the proof. Now we're finding in the Durham report his own staff are threatened witnesses. I mean, why is this individual still even in Congress? And why does he think he can even run for higher office after what he did? Mm -hmm. When you look at Hillary Clinton... She created this. Yeah. The FBI paid people and knew it was false. Yep. We, this is why we created the Weaponization Committee when I became Speaker. Yeah. This is what we knew about. Now we have even more proof about it. Now it's time that people have consequences for their actions, and you've got to clean this up where this can never happen again. Yeah. When you talk about the threat to democracy, this is exactly what we're talking about. And, and they it divided threatened the, the democracy of the American public. And yes. it divided the country so much, it's unbelievable that finally we get the Durham report and the mainstream media is blowing it off as if it's no big deal. Um, The media also... Maria, you got attacked for speaking the truth, for even just bringing people up to let them have their own say. That is an attack on democracy, that they would use every lever to try to silence information coming through the airwaves. That is wrong in America, especially when we have a First Amendment right. And now we have proof that government utilized themselves for political purposes to try to control who was running this country and going against the American people's vote. You know, I want to keep in mind for our listenership, because a lot of people say, like, oh, yeah, Kevin McCarthy's doing Trump's bidding, like, Trump juiced him and the Speaker of the House. We've explained it to our listenership to an extent. 
Unless Kevin McCarthy removed himself from the Speaker of the House nomination process because he had already had pre-baked 200-ish votes, there wasn't going to be a Speaker of the House. They'd still be recording vote tallies for it. It's like the same thing with Ronald McDaniel. You know, her election was pre-baked. She would have to remove herself to there, then open up the votes who have already committed to her like they committed to McCarthy. One of our great friends, great friend of the show, great friend of Cash Patel, former congressman, former chair of the House Oversight Committee, Devin Nunes, and Kevin McCarthy are really good friends. Even when we would sometimes groan through portions of those interviews that we had with Devin Nunes, and all of his interviews on here are fire. We always get Devin Nunes swearing and, you know, saying he wants to just get these people that made not only Donald Trump's life, but the American people's life miserable for the entirety of his first term in office. And it seems like Kevin McCarthy is going to go after Congressman Schiff right now because of what he did in regards to how they enacted the investigation that was going on regarding this stuff with President Trump. We all know that Schiff's office and Devin Nunes's office, along with Cash Patel, they went back and forth, wound up spying on Congressman Nunes and stuff like that, uh, all outlined in the Amanda Milius documentary, Plot Against the President. I highly encourage everybody to check that one out as well. It's like a Russiagate for idiots. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so this is kind of personal to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, speaking of California congressmen, dang, four in one segment. You didn't even think there would be that many. Congressman Kevin Kiley is going to be joining us in just a couple seconds. He's been working on some great stuff, including helping get that Border Security Act of 2023 passed last week uh, and sent up to the upper chamber. Uh, the real-life Mr. Garrison, Noah's favorite, mm. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, oh. albeit poignant and short and pig-faced. <laughs> Had a little bit of uh, fire to dump on the FBI and DOJ. Let's hear him. What do we know now? It's all bullshit. So how do we get, how do we get back? We win this election. They wanted you to believe that President Trump was a Russian agent. The truth is there is collusion, Sean, between the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the media colluded to lie about Donald Trump for four years. And it's now out. Okay. Let me. Mm-hmm. That's on the new Boomer Sweat show. You guys have heard that Sean Hannity is now going to take over Tucker Carlson's spot. Really? Yeah. I don't know if uh, he's going to have the same kind of draw. No? So the thing with Tucker was he was the reason why people put it on that channel. Yes. And Hannity, the only the only reason that he had trickle ratings after that, I mean, yeah, some people like listening to him and stuff like that. Because the handoff. Um, yeah, it's, it's more than anything else. He's It's like having a good opening band. And you're a washed up touring band that, you know, hasn't been big since the 80s. I like it. <laughs> Antoinette, what do you think? Uh, would you consider Noah's input on the show a decent opening act, or would you consider him more washed up 80s band? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Listen, he's the best engineer in the game. He's also fantastic at color commentary. You knew it wasn't going to be too long before we got Donald Trump involved in all this because he called uh, Rob Schmidt the other day and on on Wednesday and had some, he wanted to say his part because, listen, at the end of the day, he is vindicated. How many times did you see these people, everyone from 60 Minutes to press conferences where he'd go off on a tangent and before Rigged and Stolen was a thing, they spied on my campaign. Mm -hmm. They spied on my campaign and they got caught. We caught them. We caught every single one. Oh, President Trump, that's not true. Oh, President Trump, Barack Obama's not spying on you. Oh, President Trump, you just can't say these made-up things. <laughs> and he wound up being right about every single fucking thing. Yeah, now it's like, oh, uh, you were saying? 
Yeah. So as soon as he starts to talk about that stuff now, now they just segue to like they, they bait him with like the little crumbs. Okay, let's, hey, tell him the election wasn't stolen. No. <laughs> <laughs> let's hear him jump on with Rob Schmidt and give a little commentary on the uh, verdict or lack thereof from the Durham report. Top of the show, former President Trump joins me now to react to all this. And, sir, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Well, thank you, Rob. Uh, so you've been ridiculed uh, by the left uh, for years now for calling investigations into you witch hunts. You specifically called the Russia collusion investigation a hoax. Yep. Uh, the Durham report vindicates you in a number of different ways. It destroys Russia collusion. It validates your firing of FBI Director James Comey. It validates your criticisms of late Senator John McCain, who pushed this dossier in Washington. It proves that you've been targeted by a very vicious machine. Yeah. Well, that's been uh, obvious to me for a long time. I fired Comey, and uh, that was a very wise thing to do. I'm glad I fired him, and I fired him very early. And uh, he wasn't my pick either. I inherited him, but right. he got we got rid of him, and it's a lucky thing I did. Otherwise, it would have been far worse. But I would tell you that it's a great vindication, and it feels good. And the report has been, you know, wildly praised. It, I wish it could have come faster, but the detail that he went into, 308 pages, the detail is extraordinary. And uh, all of these people, it's, I guess you could call it treason. You could call it a lot of different things. But this should never be allowed to happen in our country again. You know, in a White House meeting, then CIA Director John Brennan briefed President Obama that Hillary Clinton had dreamed up a scheme to paint you as a Russian asset, as a distraction from her email disaster. Joe Biden, who's now the president, was at that briefing yep. and has been lying about you for political gain ever since. If you get back into the White House, how, how do you disinfect a, a town as dirty as Washington, D.C.? Well, there is a deep state, and there are a lot of problems, and I did a lot of uh, firing, but it goes, down, uh, it goes down very low when you look at it. Uh, you know, this was really started by when she lost the election, which, according to some people, was uh, not uh, was somewhat of a surprise, okay? I didn't right. think it was a surprise, because I'd go to rallies with, with like 55,000 people, and she'd have rallies that, you know, we're not well attended at all, but we're going to hear the back end of that in just a second. But, you know, Rob Schmidt makes some good points. Uh, and so does President Trump. He did fire a lot of people. But but let's just look at where that goes in Washington. He had DC. to. So you guys, Comey got fired, right? Andy McCabe takes a job. Then Andy McCabe gets fired, right? And they tell Andy McCabe, you're fired, fired. No federal pension, no retirement. This guy was one of the collaborators in this whole Russia hoax thing. Joe Biden gets elected and on day one reinstates Andy McCabe's retirement benefits and all that other stuff that he lost when he was fired by President Trump. Like, this is how far down the rung we're going to have to go to make sure that this stuff gets course corrected, uh, you know, when President Trump gets back to the White House. Because you can't just go for the Comeys and the Clappers and the Brennan. Yes, it's fun to watch them get fired. We all want to see them walk out the side door of the you know, FBI headquarters with the little brown box. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, it's the... Shit, what if some people said 2.2 million unelected career federal bureaucrats that grease the gears of the administrative state? It's terrifying. Yeah. 
that these people will just ride out presidencies in four and eight year stints and literally whatever is supposed to get done for this nation, they determine the ebb and flow of it. Look at the border wall. Look at all the domestic infrastructure stuff. You can't really say they have too much in regards to uh, influence over geopolitics. Uh, but budgetary things, why do you think Democrats always waited to the last minute or went weeks and sometimes months over presenting their, you know, monetary solutions for the American people and said, oh, shit, we ran out of time. Guess what? Here's an omnibus. Yeah, here's a bunch of shit hidden in the fine print minutia of all this other shit that you're not going to read. And then everybody would just pile on. Oh, <laughs> shit, Trump's going to sign another omnibus. This is like he can't do anything. And it's just like. I tried to explain to some people today. They're it's like they just gave it to him 45 minutes before it was over. Yeah, like, and guess what? It's 500,000 fucking pages. Yeah, didn't they put it in a wagon and like roll it in one time? Who did that? I tell you what. Yeah. Rand Paul. Yeah. <laughs> so the Florida Paint Influencer Industrial Complex is really ramping up with the hateful chatter online ahead of Meatball's now imminent announcement coming next week. We're going to be talking about that in our uh, next segment. We're also going to be having Mark Mitchell head pollster at Rasmussen in today to crunch some numbers for us regarding all of these polls coming out recently with uh, President Trump doing fairly well, to say the least. But it's just like there have been people out there on social media like saying, like, Trump did this. Trump handed the keys of the castle over to Fauci. That's not fucking true. Yeah, no. Anthony Fauci was in public service and working for the federal government for 50 fucking years and had every single person around President Trump and Mike Pence and all those other people who really didn't know what they were doing because it was the first time we've seen a global pandemic since the early 1900s, that this is what needed to be done. And meanwhile, whenever President Trump was reluctant to push back or want to go an alternative path to what was trusting the science, <laughs> the death meters came on every fucking news station. And every single one of those was a millstone around President Trump's neck, even though we all know it's not the case. Same thing goes for everything else they want to have. Oh, the border wall was never finished. Why? The administrative state. Uh -huh. <laughs> the, the, the reservoirs. <laughs> when you look at the geopolitical victories and less control that the administrative state had over these things, where Donald Trump would walk into North Korea, Donald Trump would say we're building the you know, embassy in Jerusalem. Donald Trump would say the Abrams Accords are getting done. Mm -hmm. The administrative state really can't do anything. Like Donald Trump would tell Germany, guess what? You're fucked in the next couple of years. You want to know why? Because Russia's going to own you. That aged marvelously. They laughed at him. They fucking laughed at him when he said that. How, how's that working out for you? If, we, if he doesn't come in and clean house, administrative and executively order Schedule F as a starting point for Congress to figure out how they could make this something permanent. It's almost as like we're going to run into the same problems and the country is in a lot worse shape. There's so much good stuff that, that people are putting forth too, like the, the schedule F term limits, uh, not being able to, to literally work the stock market, like, which that's going to be abused. Like that's almost really a, just a, a non-issue because w if you make it illegal for them to do it or they're not allowed to do it, they're just going to have their family do it. But like holding these people accountable in any way possible and just not letting them get away with just the rampant disregard for what the American people want. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's key right now. Anything we can get to hold up against them. That's fine in my book. Let's hear president Trump finishing that point on Duncan on Hillary Clinton right now as he wraps with Rob. But they call this a big, big uh, surprise and they didn't know what to say. 
And they said, let's blame it on Russia. Somehow somebody came up with the idea, let's blame her loss on Russia. And when they blamed it on Russia, all of a sudden the news, the fake news, started picking it up and it went longer and longer. And all of a sudden it was a week and then two weeks and then ended up going two and a half years. Uh, they made the most of it and it's a disgrace. But this was really an excuse for why she lost the election. She blamed it on Russia. <laughs> and it, uh, it's very sad, very, very bad for our country. Despite that, we yeah. did things that nobody thought were possible. The biggest tax cuts in history, rebuilt our military, biggest regulation cuts in history, uh, Space I Force. So much, I mean, we did so much. Uh, by the way, strongest border ever, greatest economy ever. No inflation. You know, we had the strongest border in the history of our country, and now you have the worst border in the history, maybe of the world, because I don't think anybody in the world has ever had a border like this. Yeah. It's a disaster. So despite One this, of, we did so great. But, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, you know, we had to fight our way through this. Yeah. And that's kind of what we just outlined there, and it's going to be a constant fight, especially since President Trump, if he's reelected in 2024, not only will he have a mandate, but he'll have an end date. And you already can tell that he doesn't care. I mean, he went to uh, where a lot of people thought that CNN town hall from a week ago was very softball-y, prospective Republicans. Everyone they called on, they stated like, oh, yeah, voted for President Trump twice, hasn't made a decision yet. You know, there was a guy who did a podcast, and he went around and was freeze-framing all of the audience. And when you look at the demographics of the uh you know, fat, purple-haired meanies that you know probably smell like cat piss and lavender that were sitting in that crowd. There was a lot of them there. Cat piss and lavender? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Sorry to anybody out there that smells like cat piss and lavender. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh... Probably has never known the touch of a man either. How dare me? No. But, yeah, there, there was a lot of people there who you could tell weren't fans. But when you look inside the numbers, Caitlin Collins... Paid fucking hack. Mm -hmm. Guess how many times she interrupted President Trump during that? Oh town my hall? gosh, it was sixty-two minutes. It was ridiculous. One hundred and one times. This is a town hall. It's not a debate. She wow. wasn't an opposition candidate. She was the moderator, and she got just as bad as like the debates were. Like it was literally the moderator, the moderators versus Trump. Also, who was that last moderator? The old dude. I keep forgetting his name. I'm blanking. Oh, Chris Wallace. Don't worry, he'll yeah. never be his father. <laughs> <laughs> worse no he certainly was that was when when donald trump had to basically fist fight him and joe biden at the same time as joe biden's holding up the letter signed by the 51 former intelligence officers that turned out to be completely horseshit yeah so here's the thing as we're getting ready to wrap here and jump in with congressman kiley in a minute you are a nasty person thank you even though we've told you even though trump attorney jesse banal has told you it's still not going to be enough for some of our listenership for that, like, Telegraph delegation who listens to Steak for Breakfast. They want pain. They want results. So, Congressman Jordan gives you a little lead-in. We want to know why certain things didn't happen with John Durham's report over the course of two and a half years. It cost the American public over $6 million, taxpayer dollars, in addition to the over $30 million that the Mueller investigation cost. So, let's hear what Jim Jordan's got as a little treat coming in hot next week that we'll be covering. Lee, that John Durham will appear before your committee and testify. 
I, I do, and I hope it is next week, but I do think he'll come. I think you, you sort of owe it to the country after doing this good work, this long, long report that he put together with its, you know, just, just harsh and troublesome findings. Uh, I do think he'll come in front of Congress. I think he owes that to the country, and let's hope he does. We've got a number of questions to ask him. And one of the things I want to ask about the whole, we have FISA, part of FISA is up for renewal. It's real important because that was the process that was abused in this, uh, that he points out in the report. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I hope he comes because we got a lot of important questions for him. Well, one of those questions be a congressman, how you have literally half of, of those who read this report are just dismissing it out of hand as a dud to quote one network. <laughs> Well, it's certainly not a dud. I mean, the, the one line in there, the FBI failed in its fundamental mission of fidelity to the law. Yep. That says it so clearly. They didn't follow the law. There was no probable. The reason they can make that statement, because they had no evidence, no probable cause, no predicate, no reason whatsoever mm-hmm. to launch this investigation. They did it anyway. And they knew that this dossier came from the Clinton campaign. They use it as a way to go spy on a presidential campaign and more importantly, to spy on American citizens. Mm -hmm. They did all that. So, yeah, this is about as damning a report as you can see. Um, So, again, uh, I I hope some people read it. And I thought you made a great point. The very people, the very people who told us things that weren't true are now telling us out there telling us on TV, oh, you can't trust the Durham report. Like, are you kidding me? We just this report says you guys didn't give us accurate information uh, Mm -hmm. when you were out trumpeting this whole idea that President Trump somehow was colluding with Russia, which Mm. they should have to pay it back. Like whatever story. money's wasted should come out of their fucking pockets. Well, here, listen, Donald Trump's going to sue the shit out of everybody. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I did hear some things last week that because he's already involved in a presidential campaign, like lawsuits directly or pertaining to ones against the federal government can't really be filed until maybe after his next term. But don't worry. These people will all pay hundreds of mi- Listen, if Nick Sandman and Kyle Rittenhouse got paid. Donald Trump is getting paid, paid. Yeah. He's probably going to double his income off of all these lawsuits, starting with CNN. And I hope going to civil lawsuits for all of these people who they have proved literally colluded with fake Russia to say that he was colluding with real Russia. And I want them to be financially responsible, but that doesn't put the money back in the taxpayers' pockets. Nope. Like, I mean, Trump sues him. He gets a bunch of money. Sure. He's going to do the right thing with it. But at the same time, it's like that money's been wasted. The money's been stolen from us. He's going to buy another golf court resort. Well, or, I guess that's or the right thing. maybe he abolishes the IRS when he oh, gets back. Well, yeah. listen, we're, we're still talking to our Telegram delegation of Steak for Breakfast listeners right now, I guess. But the thing is, at some point in the near future, Jim Jordan has assured us that John Durham will not only be attending a session of the weaponization subcommittee and having to deal with the same bullshit that those FBI whistleblowers had to do in regards to their Democrat congressional counterparts. You're actually going to hear him get asked legitimate questions from the Republican members of the House that sit on the committee and get answers that you want to hear, ones that come off the page and he could read them in real life. He could probably make recommendations and things uh, related to like FISA, which Jesse Benal alluded to earlier in the show that we need to completely abolish. That is just that's some third world shit. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how that exists. Anymore. I understand the war on terrorism is one thing, but since it's white nationalism now, that was like a lead in so funny how international terrorism just kind of went away. It's weird. So weird. Well, I mean, when you armed half of the people that are involved in international terrorism and left a bunch of shit there. True story. That's awkward. You don't really want to keep bringing that. I have seen some amazing. Band-Aid uh, out. 
Speaking of band-aids, they need a few over there. Have you seen those guys try to fly the helicopters? Oh, man. It's ugly, especially the landings or lack thereof. But th- that's that's kind of where we're wrapping with John Durham here now. We're going to be sitting down with Congressman Kevin Kiley in just a second. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family, has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us first on the show today, he's the congressman representing California's 3rd District. We're really excited to have Kevin Kiley back on the show. Congressman, welcome. Thanks. Always great to be with you. Well, we've noticed that you've been busy lately. We're always checking out your social media feeds and uh, communicating with your team. And we saw it is police week and uh, you've been really working hard on promoting the culture of respect and honor uh, for law enforcement. And you've been working on some initiatives there to uh, help support that narrative. You want to tell our listenership a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we started uh, what we're calling a police honor roll, where we took uh, nominations from different, uh, you know, police chiefs, sheriffs, and law enforcement leaders uh, throughout my district for truly, you know, uh, outstanding uh, officers and uh, and individuals in their departments uh, who were deserving of recognition. So we ended up uh, with, I think, seven or eight uh, selections of uh, folks uh, who were part of this uh, sort of inaugural police honor roll. And I was able to give uh, a uh, tribute to each of them uh, on the floor of the House. And uh, we're encouraging other offices, other uh, members of uh, Congress to do this as well. I'm hoping maybe it can become uh, something that is uh, is a national thing. And, it, you know, there's so much negativity that has been directed uh, against our men and women in law enforcement from sort of, you know, the what you might call the far left sure. uh, in recent years with these defund the police movements. Uh, and everything else. And, uh, you know, it has uh, really been just truly terrible to, to see and has, uh, in many way, case, ways, you know, discouraged people, I think, from from going into law enforcement. Uh, and uh, so I'm hoping that this can help to restore the, the proper uh, honor and, uh, you know, sense of gratitude uh, that we all uh, owe uh, to those who put their lives on the line for us every day and to sort of, uh, you know, help uh, encourage, uh, you know, young people today. Uh, to go into this truly honorable profession. Well, you know, we back the blue here on Steak for Breakfast, and and we can only imagine, I'm sure you met with a lot of police, fire, and EMS out in your district, and and, and when you were, uh, you know, working in the state here in California, Congressman, and and I'm sure you've heard some stories on just how hard it is being in law enforcement, being a first responder these days, especially, you know, not only with the national political climate, but the way uh, it is being a law enforcement officer in a place like Gavin Newsom's California. Well, yeah, that's right. And uh, I've heard it from, you know, department leaders all around our state and, uh, you know, especially places like San Francisco yeah. uh, and L.A. where you have these prosecutors who aren't even prosecuting crimes, where you have political leaders who have defunded uh, police departments. And then you have state laws that really take a lot of the tools away that law enforcement needs to keep our community safe. Uh, we've just made it harder and harder 
for folks to actually do what, uh, you know, uh, what they signed up to do, which is to protect us. Um, and so we need to start uh, moving in a very different direction. We certainly do. And with a lot of the Congress people we have on the show, there are, I would say an overwhelming majority, if not all of them are, you know, overt supporters of law enforcement. And uh, it's good to see you pumping initiatives like that out in your district. And we do hope that that gains traction and, and makes it to a national level at some point. Um, Congressman, one of the biggest things that's kind of engulfed the news cycle over the course of the last, well, two and a half years is uh, the border, the crisis down on the southwest border. Uh, you worked extremely hard in helping get that border security bill passed not too long ago, right before Title 42 was sunsetted by the Biden administration. And we just want you to tell our listenership kind of what went into that whole process and what it, what it could possibly mean as, as it works its way up the chain now for, you know, correcting some of the major issues we have going on down there right at the moment. Yeah, this is uh, the Secure the Border Act of 2023 is arguably the, the strongest uh, border security bill ever passed, at least in, in, in modern uh, times. Uh, you know, it's uh, a comprehensive border uh, security package that uh, really will just basically uh, compel uh, the executive branch uh, to enforce the laws uh, and uh, provide the tools that uh, will help to do that more effectively. So, uh, you know, of course, it will uh, complete the wall. Um, it will, uh, you know, uh, provide additional border patrol agents. It will provide additional technology uh, and drones and the like uh, to detect illegal uh, crossings. Um, it reforms uh, or returns, I should say, the asylum process uh, to the way it's supposed to work uh, so that you don't get to hang out in the U.S. indefinitely uh, while claims are being adjudicated. Uh, and many other provisions uh, that are designed to reverse the just uh, staggering uh, damage that has been done over the last few years is our process has completely broken down. We've had over 5 million uh, illegal crossings, new records are being set uh, all the time. And now with, you know, Title 42 being lifted, you had a single day. One of the uh, last week uh, was the all time high uh, for illegal crossings uh, in a single day. So, uh, you know, we passed this uh, basically in a party line vote uh, in the House. I was hoping we get a little more bipartisan support, but we'll see where it goes in the Senate. Yeah, I mean, as we inch closer to an election year, there's going to be a lot of campaign-related material that you you and the uh, Republican side of the House are going to be able to use for, you know, there are Democrats who, who have House seats in border states. There's even Democrats who have House seats in border cities. And just to completely ignore the problem down there, when you see how negatively it's affecting the communities, the schools, the hospital, the job market, everything, and now kind of funneling its way up and into the interior of the United States, something needs to be done. Congressman, how bad does it kind of grind your gears when you hear Corrine Jean-Pierre or Kamala Harris, the border czar, or Alejandro Mayorkas, the currently embattled DHS chief, kind of scoff off the fact that their policies don't really have anything to do with the border. It's the immigration system, and therefore it's Congress's fault that we've gotten to this point. Well, that's just such a crazy statement when you hear things uh, like that come from Mayorkas or when you hear him say that the border is secure because there was a marked change uh, when this president came into office. Uh, you know, things were uh, improving uh, under uh, President Trump. And then uh, suddenly you had uh, President Biden reverse all of the policies that had been put in place. Uh, and, uh, you know, the results, predictably, uh, were a record level of illegal crossings in 2021, a new record in 2022. Uh, and so in the face of that, just a very stark uh, reality, uh, for him to somehow try to evade responsibility 
uh, is really just, uh, you know, uh, not even a credible argument in any way, shape or form. I know it kind of just like rolls off you because, and, and you know how to handle these things because you dealt with Gavin Newsom for so long. So when one of the people and like, you know, the current administration makes an absolutely asinine or crazy statement like that, you're probably just like, eh, it's, it's a drive-by headline. Now let's get to actual work because there are really problems going on down there. Um, Congressman, the last thing I want to talk to you about, and it's also really important for the nation, we're running into the debt ceiling deadline here. Joe Biden assured the American public, Karine Jean-Pierre last week assured the American public, we had uh, Secretary Blinken, uh, Jake Sullivan all say Joe Biden was going to be able to go to the G7 summit. He was going to be able to do this negotiation while he was there. This morning he almost fell down the steps again. And then, you know, it starts going across the wire, probably not connected, but the debt ceiling negotiations have stalled. We knew he wasn't going to be able to do two things at once. But as, you know, Janet... Yellen has said that there's less than two weeks worth of money left on the books and uh, the House Republicans have really done an amazing job of getting that bill out of the House. What, what do we what do we do from here? I mean, are we just going to try and run out the clock and, and see what Joe Biden does? Are we going to print maybe the trillion dollar coin? Or are we going to invoke the 14th Amendment? What do you think? Well, I know that, uh, that Joe Biden is feeling the pressure right now. Uh, because in the House, we raised the debt ceiling, and we did so in, uh, you know, combination with uh, some really historic uh, spending reforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we've done our job, and if there is not an agreement reached uh, in time, then that's going to be on the president, because we've raised the debt ceiling. <laughs> so I am uh, hopeful that we're going to see some progress here in the next few days. Um, and at the end of the day, we're uh, hopefully going to uh, get something uh, through that may not give us everything that we wanted, but is going to be uh, really, uh, you know, uh, a course correction when it comes to the out of control spending that we've had in this country. Yeah, they, they have to find a way to kind of wrangle this inflation down a little. American families are getting crushed. I mean, we're already at the threshold of the summer again. Gas prices are going to go up. Some of the foods that a lot of families depend on, fresh fruits and vegetables, meats, obviously, all that stuff. Dairy products are going to be shooting through the roof again. And then, you know, we've had relatively hot summers here in the United States for the last couple of years. You know, people are going to be running their air conditioners and running into the same big money problems that they were, uh, you know, throughout the course of the winter. We've had a lot of top economists on the show, Congressman, who said about, of American families are using 100% of their income on food, fuel, and shelter. And and when you look at the possibility of the debt ceiling, uh, you know, possibly defaulting, it's, uh, you know, not on the shoulders of House Republicans anymore. I I really hope the Biden administration uh, knows what they're doing and, and winds up flinching and making concessions with you guys. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think we are in the position that we need to be. We have the we have leverage now, and the ball is really in the president's court. Uh, because if uh, you know if we don't get this uh, done, it's going to be on him. Yeah, they've done an amazing job of uh, you know kind of ruining the good thing we had going on economically back in uh, twenty twenty, and we'll have to see moving into an election season if they're going to try and put some uh, polish on this disaster of an economy right now and make it look presentable as Joe Biden rolls out his reelection campaign. Congressman, this has been awesome sitting down with you again today. We're going to link your congressional website in the uh, show description. But if anybody's not following you on social media and would like to, where can we find you? Uh, yeah, they can just find me uh, on Twitter, uh, at Facebook. Just search for uh, Congressman Kevin Kiley. It'll come right up. Awesome. We love having you on the show, Congressman. We look forward to having you on again soon. This is the Congressman representing California 3, Kevin Kiley. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. You bet. Thanks for having me. Home that made this win a reality. And of course, a big thank you to President Donald J. Trump for his support and his endorsement of this campaign. Let me just say, let me just say, 
the Trump culture of winning is alive and well in Kentucky. That was Kentucky Lieutenant Governor Daniel Cameron, who had an enormous primary win on Tuesday of this week. He's now the Republican nominee for the governor of Kentucky. Nice. And uh, we're hoping to have him on the show at some point real soon as uh, he's in a rare 2023 election uh, coming this November. And you could hear from his, you know, winning speech right there that that was a direct rebuttal at some of the hate speech that's been coming out of the DeSantis camp as they prepare to make it official apparently next week. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, One of the big talking points that we're seeing online right now in regards to the Republican field, and that's what we're going to be talking about, not just because Chris Christie has all but announced he's getting in next week as well, but the Republican field for presidential nominee is about to get a lot wider. (laughs) Like wider, like we're going to have more people jumping into the fray or? Yes, not wider like his probably over 60 waistline. Oh, right. Um, Oh, (laughs) Yeah, that Chris Christie. Um, Dang. But, uh, you know, the DeSantis camp and all of the Florida paid influencer industrial complex has been kind of astroturfing out there that supporting President Trump is celebrating a culture of losing. Really? And any counter talking point they had was, yeah, that's great, but he found a way to lose to Joe Biden. He found a way. Right. Right. Come on. So you guys ready for this one? I'm sure you'll be shocked. But then not so much. Mm. So one of the things that we like to reference this on in regards to how we identify Rigdon Stolen is the Time Magazine article, The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Presidential Election. Saved. Written by Time's very own Molly Ball. I remember that article. Wild. They basically, is this the same one where they basically admitted how they... Yeah, the blueprint, the labor unions, the teachers unions... Uh, weaponizing early vote and ballot harvesting and uh, just smear campaigns. Uh, they mm. used the guise of COVID in addition to all the states that had governors who circumvented their state house and senates and changed the laws like literally right before the election and after all the deadlines that they could do it. So they basically like admitted to cheating is no, no, the no. They, they admitted to saving. Yeah, we don't say. Well, no, I know in our words though, protecting. <laughs> So the newest, art, the newest uh, I was surprised to see at the checkout the other day when I was grabbing some groceries, the newest edition of Time is out. Oh, good. It's got a picture of a uh, heftier, because he's now one of the official spokesmen for Ozempic, Ron DeSantis on it, peeling an orange, <laughs> and it's entitled The DeSantis Project. Okay. Oh, Written by Molly Ball. Wow. Imagine that. Weird. So Weird. I need to get that copy because I, I collect all this stuff. <laughs> I still need one of the Madam Pre- President ones. Mm. Oh, I've got that in my garage in a box. Oh, do you? Yeah, it need- cost a pretty penny on eBay. I know, right? I don't, Crazy. Like, I don't like to talk about that stuff because I don't want to get rabbed. <laughs> so, yeah, as they're getting ready to, to roll out Rob here, as, as President Trump has so elegantly put it, um, we did see... DeSantis put out a statement just today and it's kind of how they're trying to narrow the field themselves and delegitimize anybody else that gets in the race as well. Even though DeSantis's current poll number shows him not comfortably ahead of the best of the rest. 
I mean, if you're sitting at like 16, 17 points, like five, six, seven, eight points for the next person in line really is kind of a lot closer than Donald Trump who's sitting at like 40, 50, 60 points, right? Yeah, you're not doing that good. So in a statement from Ron DeSantis, he said, to have a chance to get elected president, it's Joe Biden and me. Based on all of the data in the swing states, which is not great for the former president, people aren't going to change their minds and, more importantly, their views of him. What do you guys think about that? Again, that's DeSantis trying to paint a different picture than what is the actual Republican road to the White House. Wait, that was DeSantis saying the only two people who can be president is Joe Biden or him? Yes, he said there are three people currently (laughs) in this race who could win win the nomination, but there are only two people in this race that can win the presidency, him and Joe Biden. Wow, that's a bold move. He's not lying in in terms of Joe Biden because of what happened this last election, but I don't. I honestly don't see DeSantis ever being president. I just feel like this is like a whole huge psyop with the whole DeSantis thing. But it's interesting to see how everybody's like kind of throwing Trump under the bus that used to be pro-Trump and, you know, going for for DeSantis. This is just, I don't know. Well, unless unless they actually have something in their back pocket that they know there's going to preclude him from running for president, actually even being able to like, yeah. yeah. You mean for Trump? Yeah. I mean, I, the only thing I've seen legally that a lot of high-level constitutional attorneys have agreed to is if they convict him of sedition, which I right. don't think they would ever do. And even if they did, the appeals process would put it way past the 2024 presidential election, in my opinion. But would that keep him from being able to run if he was in the process with that like what what are the what are the rules with that you're, you're entering uncharted territories as oh. far as presidential electability and what just, the rules of the races are i just don't see it happening I, I i mean if they had any of that crap already they would have thrown it at him now they're just getting so petty i mean like like the whole stormy daniels bullshit and yep. this other this other lady this crazy crazy eyed lady i don't even know her name well, off the top of my head. i do know what her cat's name was no. Vagina. Vagina. I forgot to do the vagina, vagina button. Vagina. You didn't do you know a vagina button yet? No, I forgot. I was hoping for it, man. That makes for bad podcasting. Right? Um, uh, well, Fannie Davis, her office has leaked to the press so conveniently that they're not looking to indict President Trump until sometime in late August. Consequently, right around the same time as like the Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire and stuff like that, when the first five primaries are getting ready to get kicked off. Hmm. So, of course, that's going to, you know, be a pain in the ass for President Trump. But, I mean, all we could do is go off of past practice principles and say that he just overcomes it like he does just about everything else. So uh, I did see a piece on Fox News where they were talking about the DeSantis camp who leaked their own eventual entrance into the campaign coming at next week. Uh, As we're getting ready to see who else is joining the field, let's check this out. He's getting the paperwork ready. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is expected to file next week as a candidate for president. That's according to sources familiar with his plans. Do you have any young kids with us here today? Florida Republicans have a supermajority in the legislature. Thank you. One they've leveraged to enact a series of major conservative and controversial laws. DeSantis has signed bills banning transgender care for minors, allowing concealed firearm carry without permits, and outlawing abortions after six weeks. 
Also, laws shielding the governor's travel records and allowing him to run for president without resigning. Of DeSantis course. has done all this while publicly fighting with Disney after the company criticized a bill he signed that limits discussion about gender identity in the classrooms of younger children. DeSantis revoked Disney's special tax district status. To the criticism of other conservatives, DeSantis's legal fight with Disney continues, and the company just announced it's canceling a nearly billion-dollar office project in Orlando. And with several months to go before the Iowa caucuses, polls have former President Trump with a significant lead over his home state governor. We're at the beginning of a long process. The winning candidate is likely to be the candidate who has the best sustained performance over a long haul. Oh, oh shut up, Carl Rove. <laughs> DeSantis won re-election by 19 points. When he jumps into the presidential race, he may begin raising money. He'll pitch major donors next Thursday in Miami, as many have held off committing. I think that a lot of folks are waiting on uh, Governor DeSantis to get in the race. He just, quite frankly, lacks a lot of the baggage that would come with uh, a second Trump term. The Republican field is expanding even further. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum is moving closer to a presidential run. Senator Tim Scott, former Vice President Mike Pence, and New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu are either weighing presidential campaigns or preparing to announce their candidacies in the coming weeks, Brett. Next week's going to be a busy week. I think the best thing about all of the other uh, Republican candidates who have announced so far and the ones who are looking to get in, Pence, Christie, Nikki Haley, uh, Vivek for sure. They've all hammered Ron DeSantis on this botched Disney thing. Like I get the initial go after them, but when you see the ripple effect of this and the potential to scare prospective businesses away from the sunshine state, because their fear of if they want to celebrate like pride month or they're just not conservative, they could be retaliated against by the sitting, you know, people in power, if they're Republicans, you know, same thing for the other side of the coin as well. Maybe ultra conservative, the people that like to like go all out for Fourth of July and stuff like that. Maybe at, the, at some point in the future, if there's a Democrat governor, they say they don't want to show that display of, of you know, patriotic uh, appreciation and stuff like that. So there's a lot of people who have said like this could have all been done behind closed doors and out of the you know way of the public. And, and it's like I've already reiterated for our listenership. Disney is never going to change the creepy fucking way that they do their animation, those little subliminal messages, uh, you know, kids' movies that are cartoons where you've got... Well, if anything else, they're going to double down and it's going to get worse. Yeah, same-sex people making out and this, that, and the other thing. Like, that's outside of the scope of what this actually is. Ron DeSantis wanted to squeeze them in the wallet, and in turn, it's spilled over. Into, I mean, you even have Marco Rubio, who's kind of like vanilla-ish to President Trump. I think he's going to eventually endorse him, but it's not going to be like over-enthusiastically saying, like, this is bad for business in Florida in general. Mm -hmm. um, and he wasn't ever going to cancel the culture that comes from within, like, the animation departments and the Writers Guild, uh, who works with the Disney companies and stuff like that. So... Listen, I hope it's going to be worth it for them. It'll be short-lived. Uh, everyone's going to get paid, and then everyone who's connected to that team will no longer have a job in America First. They can go back and work for the Lindsey Grahams. They all fucking love Ted Cruz. They can go work for that guy and, and all of the other people that, you know, they wish were running or wish could beat Donald Trump in the same fashion that Ron DeSantis never will. So Tim Scott, South Carolina congressman, uh, senator there, obviously is not giving Trump the endorsement yet, probably will at the end of the primary. And it is more than likely why 
Donald Trump hitched his wagon to Mr. Garrison, Senator Lindsey Graham there, because along with the governor, you do need some high-ranking officials in the state to help you with your re-election campaign there. Uh, it was awesome that even though Tim Scott had hinted he'll be running for president for almost a year now, the governor and Lindsey Graham both came out and openly endorsed President Trump early, as that was you know one of the first five states as well in regards to the primary Looking at how people are going to shape their narrative and what their presidential platforms are going to be, how they introduce it to the American public, and where it differs in any way, shape, or form from Donald Trump is going to be one of the big things that he's going to be able to use for or against them. And uh, Tim Scott was talking about the border on Fox & Friends yesterday. Let's see. 70,000 Americans have lost their lives because of fentanyl, much of it preventable if we closed our southern border, extended Title 42, and had a president who would do his job. He's left our border insecure, unsafe, and wide open. We deserve better as Americans. And Ainsley, as you know, in South Carolina, the College of Charleston is a big school. The former business school dean lost his son this year mm. because of oh, fentanyl. Yep. This is impacting lives throughout the country. Every county in the nation is a border county. Well, it sounds like he's going to try to coattail off of uh, President Trump's, you know, very successful border policies and stuff that he had. So I wonder if maybe geopolitically, economically, healthcare-wise, these guys are going to have to find different angles. Um, getting up on the debate stage over the course of the summer and pounding the podium saying that like our country was a lot better when Donald Trump was president, but I fill in the blank. Mike Pence, Chris Christie, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley can do it better. Yeah. It's not really going to stick when it comes to the anywhere between 40 and 60 people who are ever already gravitated uh, towards president Trump already in this uh, early portions of the Republican primary. I did see Donald Trump put out a truth. I know we were just talking about Ronda Sanctimonious. I probably want to get it in here since he is joining the field next week and, and will officially be jumping in the ring, the hell in the cell. This just fresh from the 45th president. When Ronda Sanctimonious facts comes out, you will see that he is better than most Democrat governors, but very average at best against Republican governors. How about the fact that he had the third most deaths of any state as governor on the China virus? Even Cuomo did better. He was number four. He shut down everything, even his beaches, all caps. Other Republican governors didn't. Let's look at the Disney mess. He could have worked out an easy settlement, but no. He wanted the fake news to show what a tough guy he is. Guess what? He's not. <laughs> oh, boy. Former vice president, our least favorite Judas, Mike Pence, is also looking to be in the race, probably making it official next week as well. Here's the thing. I heard from a really good consultant, very friendly with. They always provide information that I would say 9.5 out of 10 times is accurate and early. They might have told us a little bit about the, you know, Lee Zeldin, Adam Laxalt, where that whole thing was going. We were the first to report on it. We were right in both cases, especially after President Trump called out Lee Zeldin at CPAC. We knew he was never going to go over to the DeSantis team because that would be a huge mistake for someone that's got a very... Lee Zeldin's also a dark horse vice presidential candidate that I wouldn't hate. I would actually love that. And uh, isn't as, like, rip his shirt open with the MAGA shirt underneath it overtly? I mean, the guy's definitely America first, supports law enforcement, strong borders robust economy, etc. 
but kind of gives a little bit more of a mom and pop suburban mom feel. He's like the cute nerd guy. Mm-hmm. Might resonate with them. Some of the independents, maybe walkaways. But uh, yeah, Mike Pence came out. And uh, heading into this presidential election, it looks like everyone's going to take their final shots at Ron DeSantis as he tries to clear himself from the rest of the field. He was on with Cool Joe, who did not fall asleep, and was talking about the Disney stuff. Let's hear it. Don't believe it's it's in the interest of the people of any state for a, a, a government to essentially go after a business that they disagreed with on a political issue. I disagree with Florida moving against uh, Walt Disney. I disagree with California moving against Walgreens because they're going to obey the law uh, about abortifacients in some 20 states, so they're going to cancel a $120 million project. Look, at, at the end of the day, the business of America is business, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not terribly surprised to see Disney canceling a billion-dollar contract. That's, on, that's only going to harm people in the Orlando and, and Florida area, and, and it's uh, one more reason why, uh, well, as a limited government conservative, uh, I, I've said for months now that I, I, I think both sides ought to stand down, mm. take the victory for parents' rights in the legislature, and move on. And here's the thing. I'm thinking about it right now. Hear me out. Florida's not a border state. Ron DeSantis has a very vague, if any, geopolitical actually have done something uh, track record, right? Mm-hmm. So he goes after woke. He was eh on COVID, just like everybody else was. And we like to point that out. Donald Trump was not all the way right or all the way wrong on the pandemic. Everybody did bad things, had missteps, didn't use the best judgment. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is it's, it is what it is. Uh, everybody owns what it is they're going to own in regards to the pandemic. I really don't think it's going to be that big of a, presidential election cycle issue unless it appears to be a weak point for one certain candidate. So when you're the governor of a state, you're very limited on what you could do. I already pointed out that Florida is not a border state. I mean, I technically they are by water, mm-hmm. but it's not like they're getting overran by aqua migrants. Aqua migrants? Yeah. They would be <laughs> migrants of the water-based. <laughs> so one of the things you would obviously want to have and one of the things that I have always in the past given Ron DeSantis credit for was keeping the economy of Florida open. Uh, you guys remember during the pandemic, they had a lot of problems in the Suez Canal, the Panama Canal, uh, things overseas in Europe and, and getting stuff here. And Ron DeSantis was using the ports, which were all but closed up in Newark, New York, Long Beach, Los Angeles, and having Florida kind of be like the last bastion of hope to keep supplies coming into this country. And now, because of this bullshit with Disney, he can go and try and talk about how great the economy is in Florida. But most recently, he's done something that could negatively hurt potentially a lot of the economy in Florida moving forward. And it looks like all of the consultants, all of the advisors, and all the rest of these uh, camps outside of Donald Trump's is going to use that to their advantage to kind of figure out what Ron DeSantis is going to hang his hat on as far as major achievements is. Like, banning pornographic books in children's school is awesome. Uh, you know, and doing some of the other stuff that they'd mentioned in that clip of him is cool, too. But if you don't really have major legislative victories, I mean, everybody likes concealed carry. But things that apply, like, on a national level and how you would apply that as the President of the United States, it could get ugly. 
So, I mean, saying like, well, remember, I, I helped out a lot during the pandemic with the baby formula and the supply chain. Yeah, but you tanked the economy in Florida moving forward after what you did with Disney because now nobody wants to move there and open up a business. Disney's already, uh, you know, reneged on a over-billion-dollar investment that they planned on making in Florida. As we're getting ready to jump in with Mark Mitchell here of Rasmussen Polling, and in our last audio clip of the week, it's not my favorite show. And I listen when the guests are spicy. But Tim Poole has had on quite a lineup of solid guests lately. Everybody from Matt Gates and Joel Valdez to Donald Trump Jr., Kingsley Cortez is going to be on there tonight. I do like his take on a lot of things. Yeah. So he's been kind of re-Trumpanized and is looking forward for a lot of the things that Donald Trump prospectively will be able to do in a second term, which includes Schedule F. That's the I think that's the biggest thing for Tim Pool. He's a small government guy. He understands that a lot of people aren't ever satisfied with their elected politicians, number one, because of the lobbyists, but number two, because of the administrative state. And uh, he alluded to that a little bit in regards to how big of a nightmare the D.C. swamp is going to have if Donald Trump gets reelected. Let's hear it. Elected, I expect him to to have an AG start issuing these indictments, start bring, convening grand juries, and grand juries they say can indict, can can indict a ham sandwich. Bring it on, present the evidence, and say, did these people conspire? You know what? I'll tell you this. Tit for tat. Let's play tit for tat. If you're going to accuse Donald Trump of working for the Soviet Union, <laughs> then we're going to accuse you of conspiracy because y'all did say these things. Let's just go ahead and assume you did it on purpose. Yeah. Well, remember, Tim, what they're going to try to argue is that you're an insane conspiracy theorist for thinking that basically every relevant person within the deep state being tilted against Trump and trying to unseat him on bad evidence isn't an actual coup or is an actual coup. I'm sorry. That's a, a bridge too far. But them believing that the president of the United States literally colluded with Russia to rig the election and he was an asset of Putin the entire time is just reasonable thinking. And without any evidence, they could say that on national television to the American people. Well, let's slow down there a second, Seamus. Do you think the Democrats did what we know they did? <sighs> you know, it's a yes tough one, no. man. I, I yeah, got to yes be honest. Yes or no? Yes or no? You I'm going to speak with my lawyer. Yeah, of course. Conspiracy theory. Ah, ah, I got and, you. And by yeah. the way, I just have to say, I said, you know, a lot of my early career had to do with focusing on Chinese Communist Party infiltration. If Donald Trump's cardinal sin was, you know, collaborating with the Russian government, which we know never happened. I mean, the people who are accusing him of doing that, that is like textbook projection yep. in the sense that all of these, I, I actually used to do this, this can tell you what kind of social life I have. But <laughs> if you used to look at the headlines that they would write on CNN, the New York Times, Washington Post about Trump and linking him to Russia, you could basically cross out Trump and replace it often with Democrats, sometimes established Republicans, and then fun, cross, fun. cross out Russia and put in China because <laughs> the connections exist. So uh, this whole idea that there's this, you know, collaborating collusion with foreign governments, I'm like, Democrats, you guys wrote that playbook when you started taking cash from Chinese Communist yeah, Party exactly. influence groups. Real. And that was the War Room's Natalie Winters adding her two cents there. And that was kind of the week that was. I mean, uh, much to look forward to, but a lot of work immediately in front of us right now. And I think that's one of the biggest, you know, we have all these people who are sitting in courtrooms that are directly connected to President Trump and, and his campaign. We're reporting on as much as the other campaigns as possible. And then when you hear the congressmen and women who are coming in on the show, uh, the most important thing you have to listen for is the exhaustiveness in their voices. 
they are working night and day uh, with such a finite amount of time before the next election to make sure all of our ducks in order to uh, get this guy over the finish line. And with someone like President Trump, who you know is going to be willing to put in the work uh, as they're getting ready to reschedule that Iowa rally, they already announced June 10th he's going to be in Georgia. So move over, best friend Brian Kemp. Uh, Papa T's coming home. And, you know, we have to be able to apply ourselves in the same fashion uh, as those who are working either harder than us or want to challenge uh, the amount of work that we're willing to put in to get the product over the finish line. Uh, lucky for us here on Steak for Breakfast, it's a podcast, but not so much for our, you know, lawmakers and, and potential candidates in the uh, upcoming election cycle that they're going to have to work a little bit harder than we do, even though we do do a damn good job here on the show, um, you know, to, to get their products ready to uh, roll out, relaunch, and uh, make the best quest to try and take out President Trump, which, again, we don't see happening. But uh, Good luck. Yeah, exactly. Good luck to everybody that's getting ready to, to join the race right now, and uh, we'll just continue to uh, bring it to you guys the best way we can. We're going to look at some of the numbers right now surrounding not only the Republican primary but moving towards the general election with Mark Mitchell of Rasmussen Poland. But before we do that, let's hear again from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you're in a promo code stake here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100 Free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today is Big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He is the head pollster over at Rasmussen Polling, one of our favorite guests to have on. We're going to get inside the numbers with Mr. Mark Mitchell. Welcome back to the show, sir. Hey, great to be here. Great to host. Uh, happy Friday and welcome back. So... Listen, last time you were on, we were talking about how the data regarding things like the Republican primary was kind of new. Uh, people were being hypothetical in people that, you know, candidates that hadn't announced yet. And then here we are. There's already several announced candidates now. And in addition to that, it looks like there's about a half dozen ready to jump in again and, uh, you know, make it for reals next week. Based off of all the numbers that you're crunching, what are you seeing as far as who's leading, who's picking up steam, who's falling off, and what does it mean for the numbers? Uh, I'll open with a caveat again that it is very early in the cycle and anything can happen um, with, you know, the fact that Trump's been on the political stage for six or seven years. So when I see Trump numbers and I see a Trump trend, I trust it a little bit more than maybe like Nikki Haley declares and gets a 15 point bump and then sort of fades into obscurity a little bit. Sure. Um but, I mean, the big news is since in really just in the last three months, uh, DeSantis has kind of collapsed. We uh, totally, totally huge turnaround. Um, we had them pretty close back in the beginning of February, believe it or not. And I think that was a lot more really about um, perhaps Trump than it was about DeSantis. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the numbers of exactly what we had, but it, I mean, it was like, I think within, um, teens we yeah. had, uh, here it is. Uh, we had DeSantis at 32% among Republicans and Donald Trump at 45%. Okay. So now to understand the backdrop, January was basically about this fight 
uh, fight for speakership that Trump supported Kevin McCarthy on. Right. And he was dropping NFTs and doing all kinds of stuff that was off message. Then he went to the uh, East Palestine train wreck, started doing some campaign rallies. He's been on CNN doing a town hall. And people see that and say, well, you know, Trump's back. And so from 32% among Republicans, DeSantis is now down to 17%. And Trump is up from 45% to 62%. So DeSantis is now doing worse among Republicans than the recently announced Kennedy is doing among Democrats. And the one that really, I mean, sticks a fork in it for me is that I went back and looked and way back in the beginning of 2022, we asked a very similar question. Uh, where we gave, you know, I think it was like 10 different candidates for Republicans to choose from. Yeah. And back then, Trump was beating DeSantis 47 to 20. And now DeSantis is down to 17. So DeSantis has ostensibly hired a lot of people, spent a lot of money, done a lot of polling, made a lot of trips, had a lot of press releases. And he's polling worse against Trump than he was almost a year and a half ago. So the trend is not DeSantis's Friend, uh, and I, I said this on War Room, I think that, you know, really the person that nailed it most was one of our readers that said, why would you book the tribute band? <laughs> right. So I think that is very much the case. And if you add, if you look at favorability numbers, uh, you know, DeSantis does pretty well. He gets pretty close to what Trump has. And if you test DeSantis against Biden, he does pretty well. He does about uh, what Trump does. But if you put DeSantis uh, DeSantis and Trump next to each other, Republicans pick Trump, period, end of story. That certainly seems to be the case. Now, here's something that I was thinking about today because I knew we were going to have you on the show, Mark, so this is probably an excellent question for you. When people make it official, as everyone has indicated Ron DeSantis will next week, and then as soon as that kind of gets leaked to the media, you see Sununu, Christie, uh, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, all saying, oh, yeah, we're going to announce next week, too. You would probably historically see a little bit of a bump when someone makes it official. They're on TV with their family. The big messaging comes out. I mean, he's already been through Fox News so many times already. Ron DeSantis I'm talking about, but he's going to go back through that again once it's official. Um, does the, you know, five other people that are looking to get into the Republican primary probably in the next 10 days have an effect that hurts the make it official bump that he historically might have if he did it at a time when nobody else did? You know, that's a tough call. I think a lot of it comes down to the exact timing of when we poll and who said person is. So people have been talking about DeSantis running for, for president for a long time. Yeah. And I don't think people are going to say, oh, wow, he actually is running all this. You know, I don't, I don't think it's going to be the same as like Nikki Haley got that bump among Republicans to 15%. Uh, but the last time we checked last week among Republicans, she has 5%. So, I mean, there's a bump. Um, and and here, to people pondering to getting into the Republican race, um, I think my advice would be this. Is one, you're going to be on a debate stage with Donald Trump. And two, you know, in our polling conducted May 11th to May 15th among Republicans, uh, in a question that pitted Trump, DeSantis, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Asa Hutchinson against each other, the some other candidate response among Republicans was 2%. Mm. So from an agenda perspective, from a 
uh, temperament perspective. Republicans see this field and say, yeah, you know, they pretty much got it covered. And if you look at Trump and DeSantis numbers together, you're talking 62% plus 17%. So nearly 80% of Republicans look at Trump and DeSantis together and say, you know what, that's good enough. And I think that's because of the platform. I think the Trump platform is the antidote to Biden from a Republican perspective. They just think Trump is the better current bearer of said platform than DeSantis is. So just to confirm here for our listenership, the only waves Chris Christie might be making next week is the cannonball he does in the pool at his backyard. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yep. I okay. mean, uh, yeah, I, you know, after DeSantis, the next highest one is Mike Pence. He gets 6%. I mean, you know, there's still people that like Mike Pence. Sure. And, you know, he had 5% a year and a half ago, so he's going in the right direction, but I, I don't think he's going to get there. You know, a lot of these people too, are banking on, well, we're going to pick up more independents. Right. Uh, we're going to get some Democrat crossovers. And I don't think Democrats cross over as much as they tell us in the polls. And among independents, with, and granted, right, like not all independents are going to vote in Republican primaries. A lot are because about half the country is open primary. But uh, these Republican candidates among independents, 34% Donald Trump, 16% DeSantis. So this idea that like DeSantis is going to appeal to the independents, like, yeah, he does to like 16% of them. But Trump is pulling 34% of those. Mike Pence, 7%. Nikki Haley, 5%. Nikki Haley does better among Democrats, 8%, but they're going to vote Joe Biden. That's just sure. how it's going to work. No, it is. Now, Mark, when you get into these general election numbers, they have just been over the last few weeks more consistent polling showing general election numbers probably has to do with the way Donald Trump is polling so high. I would used yeah. to think like, you know, a month or so ago when he was like in the forties, I said, eh, it's getting pretty close to being over for the Republican primary. But now you see polls where he's like 50 and sometimes 60%. It's, it's really alarming to a lot of people to see how fast Donald Trump's been able to climb, even though everybody and their mother is saying that he's not only unelectable, but he's not popular. Um, now we're starting to see general election polling, even from some of the more progressive outlets that are showing Donald Trump beating Joe Biden by a little bit, one to 2%. And some of the more conservative ones that are showing like between five and 7%. What are you guys seeing right now? And what do you think is, uh, the actual numbers there when it comes to, uh, let's just say the general election matchup was tomorrow, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. Uh, I mean, that's such a tough question to answer because with a general election, right? comes months of advertising spend and get out the vote efforts and all kinds of like October surprises, right? So you can't have election without that. And I really like the rematch question because to me, it tells you a lot more than favorability numbers. One of the trends I'm seeing, especially with younger voters, is they'll, they'll tell you they got a favorable opinion of Trump. They'll tell you they have a favorable opinion of Biden, but they're going to vote Biden, right? Right. Um, but if you force them to pick between Trump or Biden, that's a, a much better measure. And uh, we've been tracking that for a year and a half. And we started the basically the month that Afghanistan happened. And yeah. Trump, in the same polling, with the same weighting and the same methodology, Trump had like a 15-point shift from where we did, where he had him at the right before the 2020 election. And then since then, he kept about a seven-point lead over Biden for most of 2022. But sure enough, the beginning of 2023, we actually had Biden win one at three points. 
Uh, and Trump's come back. The most recent time we tested it, we got 47% to 40%. Now, to unpack those numbers a bit, uh, I think that it shows you that relatively at this moment, people like Trump better than they do Biden as a human being to run this country. But part of that is it's of the people that we are asking right now and without all of that other stuff that comes with an election. Uh, and the other thing is that Trump is not above 50 percent. So what you, when you have a 40 to 47 percent, you're going to have like 13 other points of people saying some other candidate and not sure. Right. And those people are going to make up their minds. And the question's all about how they break. Now, if Trump's pulling, uh, you know, a 51 percent against the Biden 40 percent, that's a whole different story. Even if Trump was pulling 51% against a Biden 48%, I think to me that would be a better sign of success for November because we know how much the Democrat vote <laughs> depends on, unless you say, right, like turn out the vote effort, right? Oh, um, now, we did, a, we did a sponsored poll. People could go look at it if they want about two weeks ago where we a, a sponsor came to us and really wanted to dig into DeSantis because – their point was like, yeah, DeSantis is a pretty good governor. He does have a future. Republicans do like him and, and look up to him. It'd be a shame if that was burned on a uh, you know really contentious primary process. And so we put we tested uh, Trump versus Biden alone, and then we compared Trump. We added a couple of different VP contenders uh, along on the Trump ticket. We did DeSantis, Kerry Lake, and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And of the three of them, the Trump DeSantis ticket does best, but it's also the first time since September of 2021 that Trump got over that 51% mark. Right. So DeSantis gets Trump up to 51%. Alone in that poll, Trump only got 48% of the vote. Terry Lake and Trump still beat Biden, but not she takes votes away from Trump. And Marjorie Taylor Greene takes more votes away, I think. Um, and that Biden actually beat that ticket. And then we did it again in a different poll with actually Trump and Kennedy together and Trump and Kennedy tie Biden and Harris. So that's kind of like the rundown of, you know, the ticket mechanics. And it's like he would do really good on a Trump ticket. There's reasons that Trump would want to have him there. And with him, the news of him declaring now, I can only imagine the kind of discussions that are sort of happening behind the scenes there to spur that to happen. Well, that's the thing for as brutal as the primary is going to be more than likely one of the other people on that stage, unless he goes and taps one of the extremely veteran governors across the country is more than likely going to be, you know, his vice presidential pick. A lot of people don't understand that. I understand the popularity, especially within the uh, closest orbit of the base for people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and, and Carrie Lake. But when you're trying to identify to those, small numbers of voters because the way we kind of look at it on the show and i don't know how you kind of take it mark but the republican path to 270 is extremely simple five or six states maybe 25 ish counties and less than 100,000 votes determine on whether or not donald trump's reelected next november yeah historically red and blue states aren't going to flip uh popular vote really doesn't matter in the big scheme of things because yep. some of those battleground states are in the rust belt and in the blue wall states and that's where trump has to kind of you know, re-engineer the victories that he had in 2016. Not all of them, but he has to win some of them. And uh, a lot of people will try to tell you otherwise, talk about like suburban moms and independence and, and abortion, this, that, and the other thing. When it, when you caught the big scheme of the path to 270, it's actually very simple. 
Uh, it doesn't make for good podcasting, but we like to remind our listenership. A lot of people are going to tell you otherwise between now and next November. It's kind of like scare tactics and hype up their own candidates. But I guess we'll have to see what happens from there. Mark, this has been great sitting down with you today. We're going to have you back soon because I feel just in the next week after everybody announces, we're going to have all this new polling data out there. You said it may not change too much in the big scheme of things, but for the way the election cycle has been for the last couple of years, I wouldn't be surprised if it did a little bumping one way or another. We're going to live link uh, the website. We're going to live link Rasmussen in the show description today. Is there anywhere else we could find you? Uh, people should really go to our Twitter feed. It's awesome. Sure um, is. We had a couple of major things. You guys know. You follow us. Rasmus, uh, Rasmussen underscore poll. And, uh, you know, come check out the YouTube channel, too. Every single one of my Steve Bannon interviews gets deleted, but we'll see what <laughs> happens to the one I'm putting out today about George Soros's favorability numbers, which are not high. <laughs> They're even lower than Mitch McConnell's. Yeesh. Wow. If well, that can be believed. <laughs> I, I can because the only person who has bigger eye flaps, hypothetically, is George Soros mm. over Mitch McConnell. And we definitely got inside the numbers and crunched them a little bit with the head pollster over at Rasmussen Polling. Mark Mitchell, thanks for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. Anytime. Really busy end of the news week, but I think we nailed it, Noah. Nailed it. I agree. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and want to hear the now over 240 other editions of the show, make sure you're subscribed across every downloadable podcasting platform. In addition to that, on every social media, find the Steak for Breakfast podcast, follow and hit the notification bell. You'll thank us later. We'll be back on Tuesday. We've got a trio of congressmen coming in. Mike Collins, George Santos, Troy Nels, and the King of Pabst himself, Mr. Cash Patel. Nice. On behalf of the entire pod team, I'm Ron Noah. Later. Antoinette. Bye, guys. See you soon. Guys, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend and take care. Compromised. Wonder how bad. Connect Echo Bars. And discuss the report on phase two. Alter Circuit A. Sensor. Propose that we commence with the minutes of the preparation. I am constant as the Northern Star. I'd give real money if he'd shut up. Plate, please. Plate. And assimilation will consume. We've got a heartbeat. The Klingon Empire, the ecological. Key, please. Key. Where's that damn torpedo? She's ready, Jim. Lock it alone. Fire. To be or not to be. Target that explosion and